It was the night before, and uh, he was filled with a lot of a lot of anxiety, a lot of worry. No, no, it was more than that. It was it was more like it was more like fear. It was dark, but he could hear it. He could he could hear the boiling water, churning, tossing, turning the quick current. They had seen it before the sun had gone down. They had seen the river. They had seen how huge it was. It was a flood stage. And tomorrow morning they were supposed to cross it. He was worried because, well, no person in their right mind would try to cross the Jordan River at flood stage. He had a pregnant wife. He had two children. How could he he make it across himself, much less worry and care for them? He'd heard the stories. He'd heard the stories uh, from uh, from some of the older folks uh, who had heard the stories from their parents about what God had done when God's people had been in a similar spot. Remember the story when they were they were pinned up against the Red Sea and Pharaoh's armies were were crushing down upon them and and there was nowhere to go, no way through. Didn't seem there was a way to get out of it. And God intervened then and, and opened the river, opened the Red Sea, and they had passed through and they had been spared. God had made a way where before there was no way. But would he do it again? Would he intervene again? Would, would he open the Jordan River and allow thousands and thousands upon people, including his pregnant wife and two children, to get through safely to the other side? Would God make a way where there seemed to be no way. Today we continue our sermon series on the book of Joshua. And the book of Joshua, this chapter, chapter 3, really boils down to, to this. Does the God of the Old Testament, does the God of people past, does he still work in our lives to intervene and to make a way through where there appears to be no way through? Now, remember the story, Joshua chapter three, all these people, thousands of people have been gathered at the edge of the Jordan River and they're poised to go into the promised land, which has been promised to them by God. But many of these people, all of them, in fact, except for Joshua and Caleb, had not been around when the miracle of the Red Sea had happened. Because remember what happened the first time they came to the river? They looked across the river. They sent spies. The spies came back, all except for Joshua and Caleb. And said, we can't do it. This is impossible. And so as a consequence, God sends them back to wander for 40 more years in the desert till all of them have died except for their children and Joshua and Caleb. And so these people have heard the stories of God's intervention, but they haven't experienced it personally yet in in this way. They'd seen other things happen, the manna and some of these things, but they hadn't seen something incredible like this, almost a, a freak of nature where a huge body of water was divided where they could walk through. And so it's a classic case of I've heard about what God did in my parents' lives, my grandparents' lives, or the lives of the missionaries or people, but will he do it for me? Will he intervene and will he be the same God for me as he was for them? Will he intervene in the same way? Will he make a way through where before there, there was no way? And so as we come to, to chapter 3 of Joshua, chapter 3, uh, we, we ask the question we always ask when we come to Scripture, right? What's this have to do with me? Is this relevant for me? How does the how does this story of Joshua and the people crossing the Jordan? What does it have to do with me? And I would say it's to me, it's pretty obvious. 
because we all come up against a Jordan River at some point or another in our lives, right? Often many Jordan Rivers, obstacles, situations where it seems there's no way possible to get through it. And we wonder, can we get to the other side? Can we get to the promised land, the place where God is calling us, the place where we want to be, the place of blessing and hope and healing and, and peace? So I asked a question for you this morning as we get started. What's your Jordan? Maybe you're at a Jordan River crossing right now. But if you aren't there now, maybe you have been or if you for sure are going to be at some point. And it's going to be different for everybody. Maybe it's maybe it's a struggling marriage, a marriage that's on the rocks. Doesn't seem to be any way to, to bring healing and closure. How do you get through it? Doesn't seem to be a way. Or, or maybe it's a wayward child, a child who you've raised in the faith and and they're acting in ways that you would not choose for them. And you really have no control over it. And all you can do is is pray and hope that God will bring resolution and bring them back where at that point it seems nearly impossible. Maybe it's a situation regarding your health, a disease, or a sickness, and, and you're worried and you're concerned and it doesn't look good. And you, you wonder, will, will God get me through this? Will he bring me to the, to the other side safely? Because when we come to the Jordan River, whatever it might be, there aren't any bridges and there aren't any boats that we can rent. There, there isn't somebody to take us across the river safely. We have to figure out a way to get through it. We have to find out how to get to the other side. Well, in this passage from this morning, it boils down to this. When we come to Jordan River, we can either be overcome by it and stay on their side and miss out on what God has for us on their side, or we can, or we can be overcomers as we trust in God and, and step out in faith. A verse that I would like to tattoo onto our minds is Luke chapter 1, verse 37, where it says, For nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible with God. So what are the ramifications for us this morning? Well, the first is that God's impossible work requires active faith. There's a misconception sometimes among us that, you know, that that when we come to faith in Christ, that it's all done. And we don't have to do anything else, which is true regarding our salvation. We are saved by faith. We can't add anything to it. Otherwise, we'd be saved by works. Right. But once we are saved by faith, we need to put that faith into action. We're called to, to step out in faith. It's not to be passive. It's to be an active faith. And God requires, us, uh, requires that of us if we, if we want to see him do great and mighty things in our lives. And Joshua was a man of active faith. Philip Yancey defined faith this way. It's believing in advance in something that will only seem logical when seen in reverse. Believing in advance in something that will only seem logical when seen in reverse. And, and Joshua's actions in this chapter correspond with that definition. Because what he asked the people of Israel to do and what he called them to do only made sense after the fact. It wasn't a logical or prudent thing to do. He has thousands upon thousands of people, men, women, children, livestock, all their baggage and stuff to come to the edge of the Jordan River and say, we're going to step into it and it's going to open up and we're going to we're going to pass through. And it's not only going to be it's going to be dry. It's not even going to be muddy. We're going to pass through to the other side safely, which isn't a logical thing. 
The more practical thing, the more thing, the thing would have looked probably better in the eyes of his people as a leader would have been to say, well, we're going to wait this out. That makes sense. We're going to wait till the rains have stopped and the floods have gone down. And the Jordan is, again, a sleepy, shallow, winding river that we can cross pretty easily in, you know, in, a, in a day or two. But he doesn't. He picks up his camp. He moves to the edge of the river. He gives preparations and they step out on faith. It wasn't logical. It wasn't conservative. It wasn't familiar, but faith isn't really. Faith is never conservative. Faith often isn't logical. Faith involves risk. It's not the way of safety or comfort or ease. Nobody is in the Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11 because they played it safe. They took risks. They believed in God. They stepped out. And God wants us to be people of active faith. He wants us to, to grow and to expand and to change and to, and to move into new territory as we step out following where he leads us. But before the people of Israel saw God do something impossible, they had to do three or four important things. And the first sounds almost counterintuitive from what we just said, that God's impossible work requires active faith. But the first thing they had to do was they had to wait on God. It says in the scripture that they waited for three days. Now, why the delay? Well, I'm sure they had to get the word out of what was going to happen, get everybody organized, get everybody prayed up, get their, their courage up, get everybody ready, get organized. But I think it was more than just that. God often asks us to wait upon him because in the waiting, he works, and in the waiting, he builds our faith and trust. For instance, Abraham waited 20 years for his promised son. David waited nearly that long to become king of Israel after he had defeated David and Goliath. Or David and Goliath. God said, you're going to be the new king, but he had to wait several years for that to happen. Mary and Martha in, in, in Matthew 11 have to wait several days for Jesus to come after their brother Lazarus is very sick, and then he dies. And they have to wait for Jesus to show up before he does the impossible. And why does God bring us to the banks of our Jordan and have us wait? Because he wants us to realize there is no possible way to cross it without him, without his intervention and his power. He brings us to the edge of the river to make us aware that the Jordan is uncrossable without him. I mean, how many times do you think during those three days that the people came to the edge of the river and, and they kind of looked at that raging torrent and wondered, how are we going to get across? Don't you think there was a little bit of questioning of maybe Joshua's leadership? Moses would have never led us to do this. You know, I love the words of G. Campbell Morgan, who wrote about waiting for God. He says, waiting for God is not laziness. It's not going to sleep. It's not the abandonment of effort. Waiting for God means first, activity under command. Second, readiness for any new command that comes from him. And third, the ability to do nothing until the command is given. A vital step of active faith often means waiting upon God. Secondly, along with that waiting, when God says move, before he says move, we have to prepare ourselves. We, we have to get ready. It says in verse 5, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. The word consecrate basically means to, to set yourself apart, 
to almost cleanse yourself, to get set apart for God's work and for God's purposes. And so before they step out in faith, God says, step back. You don't have to worry about sharpening your swords or cleaning your, your, your seals or getting your armor, armor ready. Instead of getting ready militarily, I want you to get ready spiritually. I want you to, to seek your hearts, to confess sin, to worship me, to get right with me before you step out in faith. Again, the parallels for us are pretty obvious. We so often want to see God do something powerful in our life or in our church or or, our family or whatever. And we ask him to do that. And and he wants to do that. And, And he often will do that according to his will. But we need not to forget the, the step of making sure we're prepared spiritually, that we're consecrated, that we set ourselves apart for God and for his purposes as we step out in faith. Another action, part of their act of faith, was that they had to follow. Verses 3 and 4. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, You are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you'll know which way to go since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. And the ark of the covenant is mentioned about 17 times in chapters 3 and 4, which is when they cross the Jordan River and get to the other side. And the ark of the covenant was a fairly simple box, but it was built according to God's instructions. It was about four feet long, two and a half feet high. Two and a half feet wide. You've seen it in the Raiders of Lost Ark. It's probably not too far off, actually, for once. Hollywood's not too far off there. Um, it contained the tablets of stone upon which God wrote the Ten Commandments. It contained a pot of manna, which gave witness to God's gracious provision for them when they were in the desert and had no food. And it contained Aaron's high priestly rod. And I believe the reason that the Ark was, was, was the first thing that went was, was because God wanted very clearly for the people to understand It's by my power and by my presence as I go before you that you can accomplish and do anything and only then. And it's only by following God in faith that we will know which way to go, because as the scripture says, we've never been there before. Right. We've never lived tomorrow. We've never lived next year. It's only by following God. Will we know which way to go? It's also interesting to note that they are asked to keep a, a distance it says 2,000 cubits, that's about 1,000 yards. Why would they have to be so far away from the Ark of the Covenant? Well, a couple of things. Um, this was before Jesus Christ came and created the new covenant. We can, Hebrews 4 says, approach God with confidence. But in the Old Testament, God was a holy and perfect God, just as he is today. But Jesus Christ had not yet made a way for them to approach God, the Father, through his perfect sacrifice. And so they have to keep their distance from him because he's a holy and righteous and and awesome God. But more importantly, I think the distance had a very practical reason. It enabled the most people to see what was happening. If they'd all been crowded to the front and and the ark had gone in, the water started to pile up, the people in the back wouldn't have had a clue what was happening. But because they stayed a distance off, they could see that it was God and God alone who was doing this work. We are called to walk by faith, not by sight. We are called to trust in the God who goes before us and the God who leads us. If God is leading you into your Jordan, into new territory for you, into a new situation, do not fear because you are not alone. God is with you. 
impossible present work produces greater future work. In other words, the basis of trusting God in the future is what he's done for us in the past. The basis of, of trusting God for our future is what he's done in the past. Dale Davis calls this theologic, God the logic. The one who drives back the water will also drive out their enemies. The one who helps them through the river will make a way for them. You know, the, if, God, if God saw those people through the Red Sea, if God got them across the Jordan River, then God can get you through whatever your Jordan is. Because of this simple fact, God has not changed. God is the, still the same God. We've seen him work in the past. We've seen him work in the lives of family or friends. We've seen him in Scripture. We've seen him at work in our lives, hopefully. Why would we not trust him with our present and with our future in spite of the, the things that we come up against? God's impossible work in the present and in the past produces greater faith for him, hopefully, greater faith for him and for his work in the future. Because the greater the impossibility, the greater the manifestation of God's power. We all stand on the bank of some Jordan River, and we're called by Jesus Christ to fix our eyes on him as the author and perfecter of our faith. And he will find a way where there seems to be no way. Closing stories from Gladys Elliard. She's a missionary, was a missionary, to China uh, more than 50 years ago. And she worked with orphans. And uh, the Japanese invaded that part of China. And she had to leave the country quickly. But she could not leave the orphans behind. So she and an assistant took over 100 orphans and they, they, they climbed and crossed through a huge mountain range to get to the other side to free China. And in, in the book, The Hidden Price of Greatness, we hear this account. During Gladys' harrowing journey out of war-torn Yangchen, she grappled with despair as never before. After passing a sleepless night, she faced the morning with no hope of reaching safety. But a 13-year-old girl in the group reminded her of the much-beloved story of Moses and the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. Gladys cried out, But I am not Moses. The girl said, of course you aren't, but Jehovah is still God. You and I are not Moses and we are not Joshua, but God is still God. He's still the same God who, who helped make a way through the Jordan River where there was no way. And when we understand that and we trust in God and we step out in faith and we wait upon him and we follow him, we trust in his resources and his strength. You'll step into the promised land. You'll, you'll claim new territory for him. You'll grow in your, your relationships. You'll grow in your faith. And, and God will do the impossible through you. But the question is, will we trust him? Or will we stand on the side of the river, looking yearningly at what could be, but not stepping out in faith? Will we step out and put our toes in the water? The scripture tells us when we step out in faith, according to his will that he will intervene. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, this powerful story of your goodness and your faithfulness and the faith of, of Joshua and the people. And God, we want to grow in our faith and we, we want to be careful because sometimes we can step out in our own ideas and, and ask you to bless that 
That's not faith. But Lord, we want to be people who who hear from you, who wait to hear from you, and then actively step out, prepare ourselves spiritually and step out in faith, trusting you with the results, knowing that that whatever you call us to do and wherever you call us to go, that you will go with us and that's the best place to be. So, Lord, help us to become people of faith and help us, Lord, to go into what you've called us to go, to become people who live in the promised land in this life and also in the next. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.